Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to VMB, the voice of Manhattan business, brought to you by the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Bruce Hurwitz. You can find me on the web at either hsstaffing.com or fishhookbooks.com. I hope everyone will be able to join me this coming Wednesday at noon when my guest will be Michael Crook from Wells Fargo. We will be discussing financing your business, what you need to know. To learn about all future shows, please visit our website, thevoiceofmanhattanbusiness.com. And please remember to visit the events page on the Chamber's website, manhattancc.org, to learn about upcoming events on the Chamber's calendar. I am delighted to be joined today by Brian Rauer from the Better Business Bureau. We will be discussing managing your social media presence. Please remember, the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Moreover, as a matter of policy, the Better Business Bureau does not endorse any product, service, or business. The information provided here is believed to be reliable, but the BBB does not guarantee its accuracy or completeness. No information provided here or in conjunction with this interview constitutes nor shall be construed as legal advice. It is not intended nor may it be relied upon as legal advice in any form. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301. Brian, welcome back to the show. Hi, Bruce. Thanks for having me back. Pleasure. So tell us about yourself and the Better Business Bureau. Well, Better Business Bureau is a private nonprofit. It's a standards-based organization. Uh, The system itself is over 100 years old. We recently celebrated our centennial, and the New York BBB is over 90 years old. Um, the BBB serving Metro New York, we cover all of New York City, the Mid-Hudson region, and Long Island. Uh, we provide consumer business education. Uh, we provide business reviews, and they include a three-year complaint history. Uh, we conduct dispute resolution, things like conciliation, mediation, and arbitration. And we also maintain an education and research foundation that provides charity reports. So if a consumer is donating money to a charity, it's going to help them to understand better where that money is going. Excellent. Now, our topic today is managing your social media presence. So define for us what you mean by social media. Well, let's see. Uh, there's a lot of things involved, but I'd say it encompasses things like online communities. Um, you're creating content. You're sharing that information through a whole bunch of different uh, social networking platforms, things like microblogging, wikis. Um, you're basically creating professional contacts. They can also be personal contacts, and this is all online through information sharing. Um, in recent years, obviously, social media has been increasingly employed by businesses. Um, they're marketing and promoting their brands through it, their products, their services. Um, they're basically expanding their customer base. They're building brand awareness with it. So it's become a big tool of, of businesses these days. And they call it social CRM, which is customer relationship marketing. So, for example, customers would be li- would like a social media page. They're liking social media pages now. And so that basically creates a virtual community for the business, and they have this network of consumers they build up, so they're better engaging their current customers, and they're also using, using it to attract new customers. So that's kind of how it's being used these days. Now, how should a business that is attacked or negatively reviewed on social media respond? Because that's usually the biggest problem that businesses have. You know, you go out in public, 
you're going to get public interaction, and it's not always going to be positive. You know, it's it's really good that we're discussing it because it really change, has changed the game. Um, I think how a business responds is so important these days. Um, I would say this, you know, especially if a business field has been personally attacked, the first thing I would say is don't make it personal. It's just business. Um, so they may write a response to post, and uh, it may not be a very happy response if they're immediately writing it. So I'd say write the whole thing. It's cathartic, and then delete it. And then write what you're going to write. Um, the fact is, you know, always take that extra time. Don't wait too long, obviously, to post a response, but you want to take a little bit of time to make sure that you're not responding out of anger. It's a big mistake. Take the time. Take the care. Respond factually, accurately. Don't do it emotionally. Um, I basically think that you're always taking the high road. You're the one who's going to be the professional. You're the one who's going to be respectful. Even if the actual post isn't particularly respectful, remember you're the business. So if you're having this argument online, you've lost already. That, that's not what you're doing. When you have this, I've seen this over and over again. You'll see a business and a consumer arguing back and forth post after post. And by the end of it, it really doesn't matter um, what the business ultimately said in every, with every respect to that because they've already looked unprofessional. They've looked petty. Um, that reaction alone damages reputation. It makes it look personal. So that I would absolutely avoid. Um, essentially, you know, the right approach is, is turning a negative to a positive. You're showing people that if your customers have a problem, you can be expected to do the right thing. Um, you'll be a professional about it. You'll be responsive to their issues. And honestly, that can actually enhance customer loyalty when they see that that's how a business treats its customers. So it really can turn a negative into a positive if you're, if you're, if you're being the professional. And it sounds like less is more. Keep it it can be. <laughs> I mean, I think you should make sure that you're addressing the issues, you're addressing it ethically and in good faith. Um, but honestly, stay focused on what the issues are. If, if there has been a personal attack on you online, yes, I know no one likes to feel that way. They don't like to feel personally attacked. But still maintain that professionalism. It just doesn't help you to turn this into something personal. It reflects very poorly on the business. Have customer reviews and social media changed the way businesses may deal with their customers? I think it has a lot. Um, I think when businesses deal with their customers, um, there's really an enhanced time factor now. If you don't respond to a complaint in, you know, I think what can be considered a very timely, quick fashion, that's often a negative review posted the following day. It could be sooner. It could be posted with and didn't get the and didn't manage to check on this um, that you've done anything wrong. It's just a fact of life. It's how things have changed. So you want to make sure that you're very timely in your response. Um, you want to make sure. And by the way, I would expect and you would hope that they're going to give the same fair customer treatment regardless of the venue, whether it's been posted or it's a customer simply calling you one on one. Either way, you'd hope they would still get the same fair treatment. But it really does change the game. Um, instead of the business kind of attempting to resolve this customer complaint between itself and the customer, there are potentially thousands of consumers that are privy to this online customer complaint discussion now. So that probably does change the dynamic of the relationship. The business has to be very cognizant how it represents itself it's to this whole online community and how it's going to affect its reputation, as we just talked about. And you've had so many studies now that have shown that customer reviews really influence buying decisions now. You know, peer reviews have become particularly favored for millennials when they're making their purchasing decisions. So, you know, ignoring legitimate complaints, it's unethical, obviously. It's an ethical practice, but it's also bad for business. So if you have an unhappy consumer that they feel ignored, they feel disrespected, 
they're far more likely now in this kind of a business environment to share that negative experience. They're going to share it repeatedly on multiple platforms, probably everywhere they can think of to post with the whole online community. And then you're really having a very different, much more public discussion. And again, you're still hoping they're treating him just the same fair way, but the fact is it's under far more scrutiny now, and a lot more people and potential consumers and potential customers are watching this unfold online in terms of how they respond and how they're treating their customer. So I'd say right now, I think at more than any other time, businesses of a variety of sizes, they have to have these effective, consistent, and very expedited customer service policies, and they have to have those in place for all staff. It can't be luck of the draw who answered the phone. They've got to review this and explain to their entire staff, this is how we respond to consumers. These are our policies. This is how we expedite these responses, and I think that will make a big difference. One of the things I've never understood is why a – company, especially in this day and age when everything is public, why a company would refuse to honor its own policies. So can you comment on the best practices of a company that does that without the forced retraction or prevention of a legitimate customer review? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a fairly short answer, but basically I'd say this involves a lot of things to never do. Um, I'd say as a, an absolute, as a rule, you never condition honoring a legitimate customer policy on forcing the retraction of a review. It's just a bad, very unethical business practice. Um, if it's a legitimate policy, it's a legitimate policy. If the customer has the right to a refund, for example, within seven days, and they've availed themselves of that, and they've done everything properly, and they followed all the policies and rules of the business, but they refuse to honor that refund solely because they don't like the fact that they're posting a review about them, that's a highly unethical practice, obviously. They should have the same refund rights that every other consumer has, regardless of whether they posted something. So that, that's a problem. And honestly, never threaten customers that are exercising their right to post a review. It's their right. Um, never attempt to, to kind of falsely manipulate these reviews. So what that means is don't post phony reviews. Never hire any of these third parties to post these manufactured reviews. It's illegal. It's unethical. So businesses should absolutely avoid those practices. So that's kind of my list of the things to never do. I'm thinking now of television commercials where you see an ad and there is a person who is um, endorsing a company. And on the bottom, it'll write, it'll be written, um, actual customer, not paid actor or it'll be written paid endorsement. You can't very well do something like that online if it's written. You're not going to say this is a, um, um, a uh, I don't know what the word would be, a um, testimonial. And, or, well, no, but, but, but I don't want to say fake testimonial, but a um, uh, an example of a testimonial we have received. Something like that, because then everybody will know it's phony. Well, the fact is, though, that you know you have to reveal you have to um, reveal the relationship between the one who is doing the testimonial and the one who and whether it's legitimate or not. So, if it's if there is an actor on a television show, obviously they are working with the company. They're their spokesperson. Well, that that is what it is. They're making that very clear. This is an actor. They're a paid spokesperson um, working for them. But if you have someone who's going online and they're acting as though they're providing some uh, neutral testimonial, but it turns out they're actually working for the company, they're paid by the company, that fact has to be disclosed. I mean, that's going to be a uh, – that's very misleading without it being disclosed. The public has a right to know that when they're reading this to, so they can assess the legitimacy of it. 
And the Federal Trade Commission, they put together – did you want to add something? No, no. Oh, the, the Federal Trade Commission, they put together endorsement guides. So, you know, testimonial and endorsement guidelines, they do apply to social media, including things like blogs. Um, these guidelines, they reflect basic truths and advertising principles. So endorsements have to be truthful. They can't be misleading. Um, basically, it has to reflect the honest opinion of the endorser. So you can't make a claim that the product's marketer couldn't say on its own. And what I mean by that is you can't avoid a violation of advertising rules simply by saying it through an endorsement. That doesn't get you around that. You still have the same requirements. So you can't tout uh, effects of a product that don't exist, that haven't been scientifically studied. You can't say it can provide a certain amount of weight loss if it's a weight loss product um, through an endorsement if you otherwise couldn't say that legitimately just in your regular advertising. That doesn't get you around that. And also if there's a connection between the endorser, which is what you talked about, and the marketer, and if this is something that consumers wouldn't otherwise expect, if they wouldn't realize that, that's the kind of thing that you have to disclose because it could affect how consumers evaluate that endorsement. I mean, if you have someone who simply tried a product on their own, they didn't get it for free, they thought it was wonderful, and they posted that, well, that could seem a lot more legitimate than someone who got the product for free. They're getting something of value from the company, and then they say they like it. I think the general public might view that quite differently, and they have the right to know that. So, you know, if, if you've been given something of value uh, to promote it, including just the being the product for free, that's something that you really have to disclose in order to, be, to be, make it legitimate. Um, and I'm also sure you know that there are a lot of social networking sites that they allow you to share your interest with friends and followers. You can click a button. You can share a link to show you're a fan of that business or the product or a website. Um, and there's no issue if you write about how much you like something you bought on your own and you're not being rewarded for this. But if you're doing this as part of some kind of a sponsored campaign or you're being compensated, you've got to make a disclosure. Um, there's also an issue, I don't know if you've heard about this, but you, know, you have advertisers that can buy fake likes, you know, these like buttons. And oh, sure. so if the, likes, yeah, if the likes are from non-existent people, people who have no experience with the product, no experience with the service, it's clearly deceptive. And that practice also has to be avoided. So, and honestly, if you're doing these disclosures, the, the, I guess the bottom line on these is they have to be clear. They have to be conspicuous. That's kind of the standard, clear and conspicuous. So the consumer can actually notice the disclosure uh, easily. They, can, uh, they don't have to look for it. So, for example, you have someone who posted something on a YouTube video. Um, if it's an advertisement for the product, it should appear on the video very clearly and obviously throughout to show people that if indeed this was uh, you know, paid, if there's a relationship there, things like that. It should be available to people, not just in the first two seconds you saw it, but it should be obvious to them throughout that this is clear and conspicuous. Um, I think the bottom line of these rules are is that the endorsement has to be the true experience, the true opinion of whoever's endorsing it, and you can't talk about your experience if you never tried the product, obviously. So if you thought a product was, was terrible, it was awful, you can't say it's fantastic. That's, that's the issue. It's, it's got to be legitimate. I have to ask a question. It's a little bit off topic, but... You watch television, there's a commercial on, and then you get the disclaimer. And no human being could possibly be able to read that disclaimer because the font is too small and it's not up long enough. Now, if it's got to be clear and conspicuous, why is it on television? It can be very small and impossible to read because there's no time and the size of the font. 
Well, first of all, just because it made its way onto television doesn't mean that it was done properly. And, you know, um, I would say generically, obviously, if you have something that's up there in a way that it isn't clear, it isn't obvious to consumers, you have no time to read it, the font, I call it mice type, it's in mice type, it's so tiny, the human eye can barely make it out. To me, that's not legitimate. It's not a legitimate disclaimer. If this is important information that a consumer is supposed to know that you have an obligation to disclose and you have no time to read it and no way to actually make it out, yes, I think that's problematic. I don't think that would meet proper guidelines in terms of having a legitimate valid disclaimer. So I agree with you on that. Now, just a reminder, you're listening to the Voice of Manhattan Business. My guest today is Brian Rauer from the Better Business Bureau. We're discussing managing your social media presence. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Additionally, as a matter of policy, the Better Business Bureau does not endorse any product, service, or business. The information provided here is believed to be reliable, but the BBB does not guarantee its accuracy or completeness. No information provided here or in conjunction with this interview constitutes nor shall be construed as legal advice. It's not intended nor may it be relied upon as legal advice in any form. Brian, it's become all too common for businesses to advertise their products and services directly through social media accounts. Should advertising standards encompass social media as well? I'm actually glad we can address this issue. I think I've touched a little bit upon this, but mm-hmm. it's pretty simple. The general principles of advertising law, they apply online. And that includes social media platforms. And uh, truth in advertising, it's essential in all media. So you think of it this way. If you have an advertisement that would otherwise be misleading if it's on TV or print um, or on your website, it would also be misleading um, if it appears on a social media platform. It's not immune just because it appears on social media. And I think in the past... Maybe some businesses might have thought that, oh, it's okay, it's just, on, it's just posted on YouTube or it's posted on, uh, on Facebook or whatever it is. Um, and I'm not picking on any particular social media platform, but they seem to think that it was immune because it was only social media. It's still advertising, so you still have to make sure that you're complying with all the advertising rules. So, you know, if you, put it, if you put that video on YouTube, it doesn't mean you're avoiding these guidelines for being truthful, being accurate about your products and services. If you think about a personal blog or a social networking page, if the reviewer is promoting these wonderful attributes of the product, we talked about this a bit earlier, but they have this relationship with the company, uh, you know, the products that they're recommending, they get all their products for free. So in exchange for promoting them, these are deals that a lot of companies might work out with, uh, with bloggers, people who, uh, you know, have a lot of followers. Um, they get all these products for free. And in some cases, they may not be very cheap products. And in exchange for that, they ask them to promote these products. Well, that disclosure has to be made so readers can decide for themselves how much credibility you're going to give to that review. And the fact that it appears on a blog and in social media, that doesn't take away that requirement that you still have to reveal that so you're being truthful and accurate and telling people who wouldn't otherwise know this that this relationship exists. So you're applying the same principles for truthful advertising. Brian, we have a caller. Okay. Caller? Are you there? I guess not. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Hello, yes? I'm just calling into listening because I want to be listening. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. That is one of the difficulties with this system. Uh, You can't tell if it's a listener or someone with a question. But in any case, (laughs) all right. 
Now, I understand that. Well. I understand that it's not appropriate for you to speculate on the specific internal practices of individual social media platforms about which you don't have any uh, direct or actual knowledge. But in general, can you comment on some of the problematic issues of having testimonials or endorsements on social media sites? I mean, a lot of it is, you know, what we talked about earlier, and again, the FTC has a lot of guidelines on this, but um, you talk about, say, your company uses a network of bloggers, social media influencers, they call them, to promote their products. You have to have reasonable programs in place to train them, to monitor them, all the members of your network. So you have to explain the things you can say, things you can't say about your product. And again, it's the same concept, is that you can't reference benefit of the product that it doesn't possess. Um, you have to advise these the people who are, are doing this for you of their responsibilities for disclosing their connection to your business. That's very important. And then you want to periodically search for what this network, the, the network of people who are working for you are saying. And then you want to basically follow up if there are any questionable practices. And you always want to remind all your personnel to be reminded of the business's social media policies. Um, and if anyone is actually, you know, if you have employees and they have their own web page and they're essentially endorsing a product of yours, it's always a good idea to put an additional disclosure if they're posting something about how effective one of your products is. The fact is that that needs to be disclosed. So it's not simply some third-party neutral endorsement there. If it's a staff member of yours, it has to make sure that even if it's on their own site, they're on, on their own social media platform, that they're basically stating this should be your own company's policy, um, that they have this business relationship with your company. I think that's very important. Um, so basically, uh, employees should always be checking with their employees before they're complying with any policies, using any form of social media to talk about the products. And if your company does allow for this, again, it's got to make sure that that relationship is obviously always divulged. And just in terms of endorsements uh, in general and testimonials in general, it's what I was talking about before. You know, it's all about truth. It's all about truth in advertising, making those disclosures. Um, the same rules apply in terms of being honest and, and making sure that this is actually um, a true endorsement. It's not a paid endorsement. And if there is anything involving that, it's got to be disclosed. And again, I encourage uh, businesses to, uh, to look at the uh, Federal Trade Commission guidelines. They put together a really good endorsement guide. It has a Q&A. It explains situations that may arise and gives answers to those. Um, but one thing that's also made quite clear is that it does apply to social media, including blogs. So, I'm what is referred to as a, I forget if it's called a super connector, a mega connector on LinkedIn. <laughs> I get, well, I've got close to 30,000 first-degree connections, which is the maximum, so all that means is that I clicked accept 30,000 times for <laughs> people inviting me to join their networks. It's not something that I would... Um, want my epithet to be. But anyways, <laughs> I get uh, messages all the time. If you endorse me, I'll endorse you. Now, an endorsement on LinkedIn is just having the little photo of the um, endorser on your home page. They also will come and say, if you write a recommendation for me, I'll write one for you. Meaning, I know Brian He's a great nonprofit exec and attorney. I highly recommend him, and I don't know you from Adam. Now, that's a profile, and it's a lie. Now, people use their profile to get a job 
or to promote their business. When you have a recommendation, forget about the endorsements, those are silly, but a recommendation. I know Bruce, he's the greatest executive recruiter in the world, and you don't know me from Adam. Does that turn the profile into an advertisement that would then come under the FTC regulations? Well, again, I'm avoiding giving legal advice on this. I'll say this, and it's, it's more of a simple answer than, than you might think. But the fact is you should still be looking at whether or not it's legitimate. If it's not the honest, honest opinion of the one who is endorsing you, one who's writing a recommendation, then it's a problem. The fact is it's got to be the honest opinion of, of the person who is writing this testimonial. If they're simply saying – and they say they've never used your products or services, and they simply say to you, well, yeah, I've never used anything you've done, um, but I'm going to write how great you are, how great these products are, how great your services are, and you're going to do the same for me, that's a problem. Right off the bat, um, whether, or not they're, whether or not it's some kind of a trade that's involved, the bottom line is that you're stating something that's not accurate. They've never tried your service. They've never tried your product, and yet they're writing this glowing testimonial of this. It's inaccurate. It's not truthful. It's not their honest opinion. So, yes, that's problematic, and you doing the same thing back is also problematic, equally problematic. So, yeah, the fact that it appears on social media doesn't make it immune. And the fact that you're actually using this to tout products that you've never tried and it's not legitimate and you're not disclosing the fact that this is a relationship. So if this is a friend of yours and you have this relationship and the only reason you posted these very positive glowing reviews is because you had some kind of a deal worked out where you're trading reviews and they're not legit, you've never tried the services, that's a problem. It's not honest. And, um, and yes, I would absolutely recommend against ever doing that. Just for the record, I once was interviewing a candidate for a executive recruiting client, and the, he was always boasting about his uh, profile on LinkedIn. So I finally just printed it out, and I went to him, and he said, look at all these recommendations that I've gotten. And I said, okay, I need references. So how can I contact the first person? Uh, I don't have his number on me. The second person, in the end, they were all phony, and I didn't want to accuse him of having falsified his uh, recommendations, but I said, send me the contact information for 10, and I'll choose three to contact, and I never heard from him again, of course. So I think that was a big red flag right there, yes. Yes, yeah. Well, imagine if someone applies for a job interview and they and they give and you ask for four recommendations and they give you four recommendations, and you call all four and they've never heard of this individual. Um, right off the bat, that would be a big problem. Um, they maybe they hoped you'd never check them out, but the bottom line is that you've just seen someone has given you untruthful recommendations. Judge it how you will, but the fact is that's a big problem when you do that. And the fact that it took place online doesn't change the fact that they've stated something that's untruthful. So I think a lot of people feel this immunity because somehow it's through social media. But it's, it, the same principle should still apply, honesty, integrity, and making sure that you're revealing the nature of the relationship that's involved and that if you're stating something as, a, as an endorsement, as a recommendation, that it's legit, that you actually tried the product, tried the service, and it's legit. It's not just because you thought it would sound good or because you decided to trade with someone. So that, that yes, it's a problem. It's a problem. I'm laughing because I've had this happen to me, and I called the reference, and the person said, never heard of her. And I was shocked because it just didn't make any sense. And then I realized the woman I interviewed was married. 
So I said, well, forget about the last name. Maybe when she worked for you, she wasn't married, and she was using her maiden name. And then he remembered her, and he could describe her. So that one we got around, but another person... Yeah, before you accuse someone of something, you should make yeah. sure you get your facts oh, yeah. straight, so it's good. <laughs> oh, of course. It can be an honest... But on mm-hmm. the other hand, one guy gave me three references. He just neglected, and he had worked with all three. He just neglected to tell me about his relationship with them. One was his father, one was his brother-in-law, and one was his wife's best friend's husband. Now, he had done work for all three of them, but he didn't reveal to me the nature of the totality of the relationship. So that sort of uh, disqualified him. But anyways, that's not our topic. What are some recommended practices for businesses maintaining their own social media accounts with regard to the use by employees? Now, we all know that a company can monitor everything that an employee does in the office, their phone calls, their um, use of the computer. But what about social media? Yeah, it's a little bit of what we we touched on earlier. I mean, the fact is, you know, if you are representing the company, you have to be cognizant of what the social media policies are for that company. So if you, even if you have your own personal uh, social media accounts and you're discussing products or services from the company where you work, you have to make sure that you're identifying yourself as an employee of that company so that no one's going to be misled by that and they can make an honest assessment. And again, before they're posting anything, um, employees, again, they have to make sure they're checking and complying with the company's social media policies. And by the way, I strongly recommend that companies have social media policies so they can't uh, claim ignorance so that employees really understand what the guidelines are. If you have an employee who is actually conducting social media for the business um, itself and representing the business, it has to make sure that it isn't saying something it's not allowed. Not saying something they're not allowed to say. So if you have a product that sells uh, health-related items, um, you know you can't have one of your employees getting immediately creative and touting all these wonderful health benefits that have never been proven for your product. The fact is they're going to hold you responsible for those misstatements of of the product's. Uh, effectiveness. So the bottom line is that they have to understand these are the do's and these are the don'ts. These are the things that we're allowed to advertise because we've proven our product can accomplish this. So that's okay to talk about. But you can't go off on a tangent and explain all these things that you think the product can do that you have no proof of because that can be false advertising because the bottom line is that it's one employee potentially representing your company, but they didn't understand what the guidelines were of what they weren't allowed to say. So they've got to understand things that they're prohibited from saying and things that are okay to, to, be, to be said because if they're working on your company's social media platform, it's representing the views of that company, the views of your company, and you can be held responsible for that. Do you know of any case where the FTC went after a company for uh, fraudulent endorsements, recommendations on social media? Be LinkedIn or anything um, else for that matter? I don't know how common it is. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it doesn't mean that they couldn't. I mean, the fact yeah. is that I think they've made it clear um, that the fact is that they have guidelines on endorsements. The fact is they retain the right to do that. I'm sure I, could, I would never speak on their behalf, but the fact that they've made it clear that these guides, that these guidelines on endorsements do include social media means that they would have the ability to, obviously. And so, uh, yeah, you should do it because it's the right thing to do, but you should also recognize that 
yeah, you could get dinged on that. The fact is that, um, you know, they, they, the FTC, if they uh, decide that it violates their endorsement guides, you know, the fact is that um, they, can apply, they can certainly apply their guidelines. Um, again, I would leave it uh, up to them to comment on that specifically, but um, one thing is clear. They've made it quite clear that um, it does fall within the ambit of these uh, rules and regulations. We have another caller or listener over the phone. If you want to ask a question, please dial 1, and then I'll be notified that you have a question to ask. I think just um, to close on the, um, on the comment you were just making, nobody wants to be the test case for the FTC. So if you <laughs> be honest, it's not going to be you. Yeah, and that the bottom line be- is that yeah. If you had to think of one thing that's clear, it's basically, you know, truth in advertising, honest statements, can't, these endorsements can't be misleading, and the fact that you're stating this on social media doesn't give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. It doesn't mean you're allowed to say and do whatever you want just because it's on social media. You still have guidelines, and they do apply, even if it's not in a TV ad or not in a print ad, it still does apply. So that's the one thing I would – it's a real takeaway from this. My last question, I thought but was a little bit off topic, but it really isn't. How has the heavily increased use of social media impacted issues of identity theft and cybersecurity? I think it really is part of this topic because I think that you've seen, again, we do have businesses and consumers personally, they're oversharing on social media. I think that's the big issue. So you have very regular social media uh, users who are sharing extensive personal information, using a variety of services, signing up for online gaming, completing surveys, a whole, a whole array of things. And as a result of this, you see social media users, they're frequently reporting being scammed, ID theft victims. Um, I do, again, I know it's, some of it's a separate topic, and I've done a lot of uh, a lot of speaking in this area, and I can tell you that that's been one of the big issues um, is these, this oversharing and specific details that could be used to mimic their identity. You know, you have to avoid information posting like your mother's maiden name, your birthday that includes the year, uh, details about relatives and hometown and all, all this personal information, name of your dog, that could be used to confirm your financial identity. Um, you have scammers out there monitoring this stuff, um, and they're using it. So if you feel the need to post all these personal details you know, in social media, you should restrict who can access these. Restrict, it shouldn't go to everyone. You can, you can do that depending on the platform. Restrict who accesses it. And you also have to be cautious about clicking links you discover through social media. They could appear to come from friends and family. There are a lot of scams out there. They're not coming from friends, and they're not coming from family. So I'd say a big tip on that is just avoid any of these online apps, these services, surveys, games, some of them require you to submit a huge amount of highly personal identity, you know, personal identity details. I would avoid those. Um, and don't provide any identity information if it's not a familiar website to you, if it's an online service you never heard of. It's just a good idea to stay away from that. So, you know, you see a red flag if you discover unknown social media accounts that are using your name. You see they have details about your business, about your life. You know, you have scammers that try to set up these phony accounts using your name. They then use that to gain access to social media networks to carry out scams on those networks under your name. So you know, they can also use these fake media profiles to mimic your identity for employment purposes. That's another huge problem. So you know, I recognize social media impacts so many people. They use it on a daily basis. I just say take proper precautions, use appropriate safeguards, and you're lowering your chances of being victimized. 
Brian, I want to thank you profusely. As always, you provided a wealth of information. Before I let you go, what's the best way for people to get in touch? Uh, okay. Uh, well, the address for our main office is 30 East 33rd Street, 12th floor. Um, number uh, 212-533-6200. Um, our website is New York, written out as one word, .bbb.org. The national site is just bbb.org. Um, people have general inquiries. It's just inquiry at newyork.bbb.org. And again, spell out New York as one word. And I guess finally, if there are media inquiries, that's uh, 212-358-2828. Brian, thanks again for coming back. Always a pleasure, Bruce. Thanks so much. And as always, a special thank you to our listeners. And I am certain Brian joins me in wishing everyone a safe and prosperous week. Absolutely.